0: Please be seated. This past spring, the trustees of the somewhat beleaguered University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and my alma mater, voted to rename Sanders Hall as Carolina Hall. And I noticed this mainly because Sanders Hall houses the religion department, where I spent a fair amount of time. And to my shame, it never occurred to me to ask who Saunders was. I assumed it was just some donor who gave some money or something. But it turns out that William Lawrence Saunders was an 1854 graduate of the university who was not only the Secretary of State in North Carolina and not only sometime editor of the Raleigh News and Observer, but also the head of the Ku Klux Klan in the state, and hence the renaming. I was reminded of this, and my own ignorance about it, when John Stewart spoke in the wake of the Charleston murders at Emmanuel AME Church. He pointed out that in South Carolina, the roads that black people drive on are named for Confederate generals who fought to keep black people from driving freely on that road. He said, that's insanity. That's racial wallpaper. You can't allow that. And he went on, The Confederate flag flies over South Carolina and the roads are named for Confederate generals and the white guy is the one who feels like his country is being taken away from him. In the church, we know how much symbols matter and these murders by an apparent white supremacist with easy access to a gun remind us that we as a people and as a nation still have a long way to go in acknowledging the consequences of slavery. I walked Beau yesterday morning, Beau as a rescue retriever with a smidge of hound dog in him, a proud specimen who's been mentioned from this pulpit before. (laughs) We walked through a neighborhood in which many people take the Atlanta Journal Constitution. And I suspect some of you saw the headline yesterday, big, bold letters across the whole paper, I forgive you. And so as the sun rose and every two or three driveways, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Ethel Lance was one of the victims, and this was forgiveness was offered by Nadine Collier, echoed by others in mourning, and she said to the accused murderer, you took something very precious to me. I will never talk to her again. I will never, ever hold her again, but I forgive you. I forgive you, and may God have mercy on your soul. There will be plenty of commentary and prescription and prognostication in the days to come, but I've been particularly struck by those who want to call these murders an act of terrorism. See, when we're attacked by terrorists, we can identify an external enemy, and we can go after them with armies and drones and bombs. We can go to war against our enemies. But here in Charleston, the enemy is one of us. Probably mentally ill, certainly murderously violent, protected by the same right to free speech that we have and the same easy access to guns that we have. The enemy is in our midst, apparently, feeling the erosion of white privilege as a terrible loss for which someone must be punished. How on earth do we get to forgiveness in the midst of this horror? The answer as we look at ourselves has to be that we, like those witnesses from Emmanuel AME, has to be that we know that we have practiced the faith of the ages as followers of Jesus and that we know with every fiber of our beings that grace is not cheap and forgiveness does not come easily to those who have not steeped themselves in the good news of Jesus. This week we have seen again that the Philistines are encamped in our land, and we can easily feel as though we're in a boat with a storm raging and our Savior sleeping with a storm all around. The story of David's defeat of Goliath, it's neither an occasion for Rara cheering for the underdog, it's not an occasion of saying, the Jews are smarter. It's not an occasion for improved weaponry and imprimatio for guerrilla tactics in battle. It's the story of a boy with integrity, a boy who knows who he is and as one of the people of God, a boy who puts his whole trust in God's grace and love in the face of, especially in the face of fear and grave danger. David is a shepherd who has defeated lion and bear as he protected his flock. A suit of armor and a heavy sword simply do not fit him. They cannot serve him. He cannot suddenly become someone new with new skills and awkward defenses. He's no more a trained soldier than the man in the moon, and he knows it. He's a shepherd, and he's confident that what he needs will be provided, even as he picks up five smooth stones from the wadi. David is able to face fear and face his opponent, confident that Yahweh does not save by sword and spear, and he prevails over Goliath and the Philistines are defeated. In many ways, it's that same integrity that allows Jesus to sleep the sleep of the righteous in the boat while the storm rages all around him. He's he's clear there's no cause for anxiety. When we know we are beloved of God. The boat is being swamped, maybe by anger, maybe by blame, maybe by retribution, maybe by the baying of hounds for blood, but the boat is being swamped and his friends who were probably bailing rather frantically wake him saying, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus questioned to the disciples then and to the armies of Judah in the days of King Saul, and to every one of us in the face of Charleston, is why are you afraid? Have you no faith? See, what we do in the face of violence and loss and hatred and death, what we do is a firm life. What we do in the face of armies and terror is remember who and whose we are and trust that even when we are afraid, we have all that we need for life. So yesterday, while mourning all the pain and the loss and feeling incredibly sad for those families and their church in Charleston, I joined in celebrating the ordinations of 10 new priests for our diocese and and for the church, and here celebrated a wedding. And in the middle of that wedding, as we do at most every wedding, we prayed that we could be a sign to this sinful and broken world that unity can overcome estrangement and forgiveness heal guilt and joy conquer despair. What we do is keep practicing, remembering, giving, repenting, and forgiving even when it makes no sense at some basic level. And we do it because that is where we find life. The spiritual work of knowing who we are and whose we are is easier said than done. A psychiatrist you've heard me talk about before, Murray Bowen, Georgetown psychiatrist who studied uh, schizophrenics, developed a theory of multi-generational process. And one of the things that he encourages and and those who follow his system encourages, going back through many generations, as many as we can in our own families, and noticing uh, where things are broken, where relationships get broken, noticing and discovering and naming the secrets, why doesn't Uncle John speak to Aunt Mary? Why? And find that out, and somehow in that work, including the importance of naming the bad stuff, we become more fully who we are. We become less anxious beings. Well, we do the same thing, or something very similar in the church when we learn and remember the stories of faith, the stories of the family of faith of which we are a part as children of God. And we, as we sort out the meanings of the dreadful Charleston slayings, we will do well to be profoundly and deeply honest about ourselves. How did I not ever ask who Saunders was? How, what are we blind to? Those symbols that create reality and a reality that often dehumanizes others? Can we be honest about ourselves, our own desires and instincts, and those apparently innocuous symbols from our history that serve to perpetuate injustice and hatred today? All the while, we can hold in mind how we are not overcome by death, that violence solves nothing, And that even in the face of the most terrible, raging storms in the world and in our own breasts, we must get to a point where we say over and over, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. For that is the way of life and bears witness to the forgiveness that flows from the love that we have first received. Oh God, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Let us respond to the gospel in silence and in prayer.